0: Welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Jim Callis, I'm John Manuel, coming to you from Durham World Headquarters. Jim, uh, what's going on up in the Greater Chicagoland area? Lots of uh, Cubs trade rumors, I suppose.
1: Yeah, everybody's waiting to see where where Dempster and, and Garza will go. Although Garza has a triceps problem, and that that obviously affects his his marketability. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I think uh, I think the Cubs' attitude is, is just about everybody could be had for the right price.
0: Well, there's lots of – it's going to be an exciting weekend, I think, with the trade deadline looming on Tuesday and uh, Major League Baseball. Once again, as I did with the signing deadline, Jim, thankfully uh, currying favor with all the writers by having the deadline be in the middle of the afternoon as opposed to at midnight. Uh, that's, a, that's a positive change for the deadline. We're going to talk trade deadline rumors. We'll take your questions. As always, if you have questions for either one of us, you can send those to us on Twitter. It's a great way, at B A. Jim, you lead the Baseball America Pack in Twitter followers. I think I'm way back in fourth place on that John Manuel BA, but we're going to start off the podcast by talking a little Olympic baseball. The Olympics start today as we record this uh, over in, uh, across the pond in London. Um, Jim, have you covered the, the Olympics in '92 and '96? Correct, in Barcelona and Atlanta.
1: Now that's correct. The, the the first two official Olympic baseball competitions. And so. I
0: covered the uh, the one the United States won from a jingoistic standpoint, the best Olympic baseball tournament, but also just from a competition on the field standpoint the best Olympic baseball tournament, which was 2000 in Sydney. Uh, baseball America did not go to Beijing or Athens, uh, and now baseball out of the Olympics in 2012. First time uh, that we were having an Olympics without baseball since Moscow in 1980. And, of course, the first time since 1976 that so you're going to have an Olympics with the United States in it and no baseball in the Olympics, which I think is kind of a big deal. And Jim, uh, we don't want we you to rehash the how baseball fell out of the Olympics, uh, but there was some news this week about baseball's potential future with the Olympics. Uh, first of all, uh, somewhat quietly, that no one seemed to really care, they announced the uh, World Baseball Classic sites for uh, 2013. The World, Base, World Baseball Classic has replaced the Olympics as a top level international baseball event. And there's uh, qualifying rounds in September in Jupiter, Florida, and Germany. And then they announced the finals are going to be in San Francisco in 2013, which is cool. I mean, San Francisco, greatest in my mind, greatest American city. Uh, right up there with Chicago and, and New York. I'm sure there's an argument uh, for for the others, but I, I love San Francisco. And then uh, you also had this week the announcement of the intention to merge with the International Baseball Federation and the International Softball Federation as they prepare a joint, basically stick-and-ball sport bid, one sport with two disciplines, to use the Olympic terminology, a men's discipline and a women's discipline, where they would share a venue, and their goal uh, all goes smoothly, Jim, would be for in the year 2020, wherever the Olympics are going to be that year, uh, that the baseball teams would all gather at the start of the Olympics, they'd march in the opening ceremonies, they'd play a one-week tournament, basically five days of play, And there again, I'm using the best case scenario. You would have major league players in that Olympics. I'm not sure if that means major league baseball would shut down or it would be, uh, or you just would have players leave during the season for a week. Uh, Again, I think the best case scenario is that major league baseball would not shut down. You just have players leave and come represent their countries, and then the tournament would be held. Eight teams, single elimination. Boom, boom, boom. Gold medal awarded. Men's athletes leave the Olympic Village. Their rooms are taken by the female athletes, softball players, who come in. They play their tournament, boom, 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 march in the closing ceremonies, you're done. All at the same field, same facility, one field, baseball one week, softball the next week. So, Jim, that is a scenario that if baseball comes back in the Olympics, I've spoken to guys with the IBAF, with the I've spoken to people even with the International Softball Federation That's the best-case scenario. If that's the best case, would you be for baseball getting back in the Olympics?
1: Um, I mean, I'd like to see baseball in the Olympics just from the standpoint of I'm a baseball fan, and uh, I think it belongs there as much as some of these other sports. But I I just don't see – I would be adamantly against shutting down baseball, or even if you're not shutting down baseball, losing players to the Olympics. Because the thing is, I mean – If you had a a single elimination tournament, opening ceremonies and all that, I mean, you still have to have travel to and from there. So you're talking about, you know, to me, I'm thinking a minimum. And I assume, I mean, you might actually work the players out together rather than just, hey, here's the ball, go get them. Right. First round game. So you're probably talking about 10 days for for guys missing. I think that's a minimum. You know, 10-day minimum. And I just, I mean, you look at last year, When you had so many teams whose playoff fate was decided on the final day of the season, and then, you know, this year we now have an extra wild card, I just don't think baseball gains enough from from taint, I don't know if taint is the right word, but from, you know, affecting the regular season to to that effect. Because when you are going to have playoff races decided by one or two games, this is going to affect playoff races. And, And to me, baseball has its own event. They have the World Baseball Classic, which, you know, is, not necessarily a true, you know, 100% competition. You know, it's you know you have pitch limits and all that. But you know, baseball has its own event. Baseball. This isn't hockey, where you know hockey's got to do anything they can to to draw interest. I mean, baseball is an eight billion dollar industry. There is worldwide industry, you know, interest. I do think the Olympics obviously would create more, but I, I don't think the benefits of being in the Olympics outweigh the negatives of having many of your best players leave. And then, and then you're going to go through, I mean, John, you and I see this every year and we can never talk about specifics with the futures game Right? about or some organizations are much more cooperative than others. Right. I mean, you know, and I won't name one. We both know who the most difficult organization is with the future, just the futures game. We do. You know, it's one of the <laughs> best teams in major league baseball and that team's not going to want its players to, to go depart for the Olympics. You know, you're going to have, gamesmanship oh you know this guy can't go he's got you know a mild sprain of his ankle I, I I just I don't like it from that standpoint you know
0: I used to think that shutting down baseball was a crazy idea that would never happen and, I, and I'm against it I I don't think it would I don't think it would happen even in that scenario and you can't really you know in some cases say this year in London maybe you could have tried to sync up I mean it's really only it's only every four years so maybe you could have tried to have a later All-Star break and just sync up your All-Star break with the Olympics. You know, I always thought to myself, maybe you should try to work with the Olympics. It's important to get into the Olympics. But, you know, then there's the year in Sydney, the the uh, Olympics were in September. What, what uh, you know, Atlanta was July, was it not? Didn't it start like July 8th?
1: I think it was later than that, although, because I think they went on a tour after the College World Series. I want to say it was more late July.
0: Okay. But uh,
1: well, the college series back
0: then ended in the first week of June, so <laughs> you know, like June 6th. Uh, so a little, little bit different schedule, but uh, but still, I think it was it was late July. It doesn't sync up always with the baseball calendar is my point. And then there are other years, you know, 2016. I'm not sure what the dates are if the dates are set, but the, you know, the Olympics that year will be in Rio de Janeiro, which I think that means southern hemisphere. It's going to be later in the year Olympics. Uh, so it's really difficult, I think, to sync up the Major League Baseball schedule with the Olympics, I just don't see it ever happening. Even in that best-case scenario, I'm with you. I think a Major League team would have to be – Major League players have to be gone for 10 to 14 days, even in that scenario. And I don't know if players would want to do that. If you're – Jim, if you're in a contract year in 2020, do you really want your counting numbers and all your numbers to be impacted in in a walk
1: year by taking two weeks of your year to go play for your country? I don't think that's what if you were Cal Ripken, you, Ripken Jr.? What if, what if we had situation? 20 years ago, John, and you were Cal Ripken Jr. in your consecutive game streak? Right. You know, well, I mean, and that's an extreme example, but yeah, I I, I just I, I think the logistics are too difficult to work out. And and, I, and I've I've googled here while you were talking, the the gold medal game in '96 was August 2nd. There you go. I know. mean, it, you know, you, you know, yeah, there's still you know two months of baseball season after that. But I mean, if you know, even if you trunk, you know, you you, you tighten up the you know and had this very condensed competition the logistics of getting there and working out and all that. I mean, if you're a starting pitcher, are there going to be pitch limits? And if they're not, I mean, you might have a pitcher who winds up losing three or four starts to his major league team. Right. Based on the time. I mean, I'll be honest, if I was a major league team, I wouldn't want my guys to participate. I'd want all my competitors for their guys to participate, but I wouldn't want my guys to participate. I mean, and, you I mean like you mentioned, free agents. I mean, what if a guy gets hurt? I mean, what if, I mean, you know, who, who's going to be managing this team? Like, what if that guy wants to use my pitcher differently than I want him to I mean, he wasn't a
0: professional, but look at the 2008 Olympic Games. Actually, I think the catcher was a professional. Nate Shearholz for the U.S. plowed into the Chinese catcher, who I believe was their best prospect, and either had signed with the Yankees or had, was, had an agreement to sign with the Yankees. I mean, he wasn't – I'm not saying he was like a Gary Sanchez international signing, but I, I know he was a prospect, and Nate Shearholz just plowed into him injured the guy. I don't think the guys played professional baseball in the U.S. since then because of the injury. Um, that was really one of the most notable things about the 2008 Olympics. Um, you know, there, there's two other parts of this, and then I'll, I'll we'll, we'll go on to the trade stuff. But, Jim, you covered the Olympics when baseball and all the Olympians were, in baseball anyway, were amateurs. You were there in Barcelona for Dream Team as well, so that was really the start of professionals in the Olympics on a big scale who weren't communists. <laughs> uh, that was the, that had been the whole problem before supposedly was that, you know, communist player uh, nations had these guys in the Olympics year after year after year in professionals. Um, and then 1996, you know, there were still amateur baseball players. Um, the famous R.A. Dickey cover, all that. I covered an Olympics and the Pan Am games with professionals in uh, international play, which is what we've had since 1999. Um, now hockey is try- and the NBA I guess soccer has their obviously has their own world cup their soccer in the Olympics is 23 and under now the NHL apparently is going to the 23 and under model for the next winter olympics the NBA David Stern in the last couple of weeks has said he wants to go 23 and under for future olympics would you be for uh you know a 23 and under baseball where you prob- presumably would use minor leaguers in future Olympics? Does that make more sense? To get, do you think that would also get baseball back into the Olympics?
1: I think that's more realistic. Um, you know, again, I don't know if you know from well, when I was covering it, John. The, the big issue was, you know, the, the best players aren't there. The U.S. isn't winning gold medals. The best players aren't in the Olympics. You know, we want the best players. You know, they had the dream team in '92 for basketball. So I don't know if that would still be an issue. And, and I think even then you'd still have some teams that were more willing than others to let their guys go because again if i'm a contender you know 23 and under i don't necessarily want some of these guys gone when i might need them. Right. uh you know some of the best 23 and under players in the world are either guys who might get called up to the big leagues pretty soon or are trade chips you know what if you know i'll just throw one out here you know cuz we're going we're going to talk about trades in a minute I mean, the Rangers probably, with their farm system, have the ammunition to pull off any trade they want. Correct. You know, if there's a guy the Rangers want, they have the guys to go get him. And then maybe they aren't going to give up pro Profar. We keep hearing that, that they don't want pro Profar, in which case to go get, you know, one of the real, truly, you know, big guy, big fish on the trade market, uh, you know, let's say Zach Reinke, they might have to give up Mike Old. Well, if I'm the Rangers, like if we have this 23 and under and we're using minor leaguers, Michael's probably on that team right now for London. No if doubt. If I'm the Rangers, I don't want Mike Michael on that team because I want to be able to trade Michael today if I need to. Um, and if Michael got hurt in the Olympics, I'd be beside myself. So I think that's more realistic. I still don't know if the teams would would be really thrilled, and I'm not sure that the IOC would feel like you know. At least if you're you're talking NHL players, NBA players, you're getting major leaguers in those sports, even if it's 23 and under. I'm not sure you're going to see a lot of major leaguers 23 and under in the Olympics. It would be minor leaguers, and I don't know if that's going to wash with the IOC.
0: Yeah, I don't think it would either. It sounds like uh, the IOC con- consistently, all the public statements about baseball say, you know, you, we need the, your best athletes. So I don't think it would wash, excuse me, I stepped on my microphone. <laughs> I don't think it would wash uh, 23 and under. It's not like the, the Olympics have gotten... Uh, the NHL's best, and they've got the NBA's best. Maybe after having gotten that, they would agree to, you know, ratchet things down a little bit. I don't think Major League Baseball has ever given the Olympics their best. I think it would take one Olympics with big leaguers for Major League Baseball to throttle back. And I don't know if it's worth it. So like, if it were, if the Olympics, if, if Chicago were to bid again for the 2020 Olympics, and baseball, uh, and, and you know, the Olympics were in the United States. And if we're in Chicago, maybe I could see Major League Baseball going along with it one time because I do think it would help spread the game. I think there's revenue internationally to be had by being part of the Olympics. But I just don't think baseball and the Olympics uh, will mix. And, uh, Jim, uh, just coming out of it uh, to wrap this segment, what's your favorite uh, memory of covering uh, Olympic baseball? You could be 92. Phil Nevin, I know I know he was your favorite player back then. I- I'm joking. Sarca- hashtag sarcasm. But uh, 92 and 96. What was between those two tournaments? What was your favorite story of uh, covering the Olympics?
1: I, I guess it would just be Barcelona. Just a number of things. That one, it, it was the first official Olympic baseball tournament, and it was in a nation that had no baseball. So Barcelona was a great city. A great. It was a great venue for the Olympics, but. For baseball, they had no idea what they were doing. They they build a couple fields <laughs> with no shade, and it's like a thousand degrees in Barcelona during the summer. Um, so I remember sweating profusely. I also remember <laughs> sitting there. At the time, it was. Uh, I remember my my baseball miracle old, like Radio Shack computer we had back then. We still like, have it. Over, we still have it in the office. Overheating. I had to had to write out longhand uh, for my first deadline. Uh, Uh, We we had an issue that came out in the Middle Olympics, writing out like three or four legal pages of longhand and then faxing them using acoustic couplers. And and so I remember that. I remember Larry Bird coming out to watch Casey Witten of Indiana State pitch for the Olympic team. And I just remember there were only like basically three of us covering the games. It was me, Rick Laws from, from what was then USA Today Baseball Weekly, and Steve Wolf from Sports Illustrated. And those games, you had Jason Giambi backing out. I think Jason Giambi was the one we all remember as the main culprit, but, like, taking, like, ten minutes to do an at-bat. And they're just these four-hour interminable games. But uh, I remember seeing, I think, Orlando Hernandez was one of the stars of the Cuban team. There were a lot of guys on that Cuban team who wound up playing in the big leagues or at least affected and signed for, for decent money. money. Um but uh it was you know it was kind of neat you know for a first time thing but at the same time it was kind of strange cuz you had a nation that really had no interest in baseball nobody attended any of the games cuz it was in Spain uh you know Spain got crushed every game they played and it, <laughs> it was just a it was it was a really kind of surreal experience
0: I would definitely say my favorite memory from uh the Pan Ams in 2000 1999 and then the uh the Olympics in 2000 uh the first game of the 2000 Olympics it was about as good as it gets from a baseball game perspective, but then the games kept getting better. Um, but the, the the opening game, Jim, I don't know if you remember, was uh, for the U.S. anyway, was Dice K against Ben Sheets. And that game won 11 innings. The U.S. won in 11 innings, uh, 4-2, to I believe, was the final score. Dice K pitched 10, uh, 133 pitches, no whites after the game, and the only question he answered that I recall that he used in any in, you know, was that he – uh, at least from an American media member, was that uh, he, he said, I do not use ice. <laughs> that was his whole answer. <laughs> um, and then uh, Mike Neal, of course, was a game-winning he hit. He always had game-winning hits. That was his M.O. for USA Baseball. Uh, former A's farmhand. I think he got a couple cups of coffee in the big leagues. But he had been the hero for the Pan Ams in 1999 and then won that game in the in extra frames. And then he had the you know, the go-ahead run would turn out to be game. If, you, if they had game-winning RBIs, he would have had the game-winning RBI in the gold medal game. He had a solo home run off Pedro Luis Lazo in the first inning to stake uh, Ben Sheets. But uh, there were many memorable moments in that 2000 Olympics. You had the first uh, the round-robin game against Cuba, which the U.S. lost. Rick Krivda, uh, for whatever reason, started that game. Uh, he started the game because the U.S. thought they could throw the Cubans off with off-speed left-handers. That was a mistake. Rick Crivedo got hammered. But uh, that game was more memorable for Miles Rodriguez drilling Ernie Young in the back with a fastball that was like 156 kilometers per hour. It was really hard. Uh, I think think that translates to 100. Uh, That that, that game was as chippy as it gets. Doug Mankiewicz tripping a uh, a Cuban base runner at first base. The Cubans responding by sliding spikes up into tap borders at home plate. That game was all the – all the chippiness and the, the rivalry that you know you that you, you think would happen because Cuba and the United States had these political tension, it actually came true in that baseball game, which made a really compelling compelling theater. And then of course the uh the the final, the best game I've ever seen in my life in person, was the U.S. versus Korea. Uh, they played twice. Then, uh, 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 Roy Oswald started both games for the U.S. got no decisions is so kind of underrated in his Olympic career, but both those starts were tight games and the first Cuba uh, the first Korea game the US won on a walk off uh home run by Minkiewicz, and he really didn't celebrate very much. Uh actually I guess it was it was just a it was a go ahead home run. It wasn't a walk off. I think it was in the top of the ninth inning. It's been twelve years now so I don't remember all the details like I used to. But the semifinal game, there was a two hour rain delay in like the eighth inning, the US had the go ahead run on the on third base and Brent Abernathy then they came back from the rain delay and Abernathy was ruled out on an interference play at home plate which was uh, bizarre and then Minkiewicz in the bottom of the ninth after Gookie Dawkins gets picked off at first the pinch runner and Minkiewicz was trying to bunt after the pickoff Minkiewicz hits a walk-off solo homer to win it and he just he romped around the bases, and that was as dramatic a home run as I've seen in person. And, then, you know, of course, Sheets with a dominant performance the day after. That was just a really just baseball at a very high level. And that's the thing for me that is difficult is that those Olympics, if you paid any attention, uh, that with professionals, that Olympic tournament was played at an extremely high level. same was true in 2004, even though we weren't there, and in 2008 where the U.S. again and Cuba – Korea, which won the gold medal in 2008. Very high-level baseball, even without major leaguers. And I feel like the Olympic movement uh, misses out, and baseball misses out, because the IOC is short-sighted. In the case of baseball, pretty anti-American when they voted out baseball and softball. And it's a a shame for the sport, um, because I think that baseball put on compelling shows at at the Olympics that it was in, and uh, I, I wish it were back in. All right, let's uh, shift gears a little bit, Jim, and talk a little uh, trade deadline. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of movement already. I still think we're going to have a lot of the trade deadline, but I, I did want to touch on before we move on to what's going to happen. Uh, maybe by leading in, with the, the Marlins still have some trade chips left, I guess, in Josh Johnson. But Jim, what were what did you think the odds were before the year that the Marlins would have already traded? Uh, you know, away Omar Infante, uh, Hanley Ramirez, I forget who else they gave, oh, uh, Annabelle Sanchez, uh, Sanchez and Infante going to the Tigers, Hanley Ramirez going to the Dodgers. Full fire sale mode already in, uh, in Miami with the new ballpark that no one's coming to and Ozzy Gian and, uh, I guess I didn't think, I, I thought they would give them at least a year before they did this.
1: Yeah, I don't disagree with what they're doing because they're not going to win this year, and handling Ramirez's contract all of a sudden looks pretty bad, and they From got a rid of the whole thing. From a baseball standpoint,
0: yeah. From a yeah. baseball standpoint, the moves make sense.
1: But, but no, I agree. I mean, the thing is, the one thing, you know, we've, you and I both do, I think, a trillion radio shows, especially in the preseason, and people ask you who's going to win and this and that, and I always caution them uh, when you have a team that just brings in a bunch of free agents that usually – not that they're as bad as the Marlins have been, but usually it's not like you sign Mark Burley and Jose Reyes and Heath Bell, and then you're going to win a hundred games. It, it doesn't work that way. Right. You know, the, 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 the sum doesn't always you know equal, you know, what you think the individual parts are worth. And, uh, I, I, you know, so I, I'm surprised they're as bad as they are. You know, I'm not surprised, you know, if you told me that they'd be in fourth place, I, I could see that cause that's a good division. Um, You know, I wouldn't have necessarily thought you know the Mets would be ahead of them, but uh, no. I mean, if I was a Marlins fan, I'd be extremely disgruntled right now. I mean, they used all my tax money to build this stadium. They went out and 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 spent wildly in the off season. The team hasn't come together. Now they're giving guys away. Uh, You know, do do I get a a rebate on my tax money? I'm I'm guessing not.
0: So uh, (laughs) I guess that's not going to happen. I'd
1: be very disgruntled too. Uh, And and you you hit the nail on the head, John. I mean, I think from a A baseball standpoint, you know, the moves make sense, but uh, I don't think any of us thought, you know, they'd be trading these guys and and possibly Josh Johnson and and who knows who else here in the next uh, couple of days. You know, the funny thing was, I mean, they they made one of the first uh, pickups, really. You know, I mean, I think the first pickup this month, you know, they went out and and got, you know, not that he's a superstar or anything, but they went out and got Carlos Lee. Right. And and not even three weeks later, they're, 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 they're tearing the whole thing down.
0: That's a great point. I hadn't even uh, remembered that. It really, Carlos Lee was one of the, he was one of the first, uh, the first uh, shoes to drop, and now they've turned around and they were sellers. So let's the top starting pitcher. I mean, obviously, there are teams that want hitters too. I wanted to ask you to rank the top. If you were a, uh, you know, if you were a team that was looking to pick up a starting pitcher, Jim, um, and you could make uh, tweaks based on a team, you know, a specific situation. How would you rank – it It feels like the top trade targets among starting pitchers are Greinke, Shields, Garza, Dempster, Liriano, Johnson. Taking into account the Garza situation, as you mentioned in the open, uh, has changed with his triceps injury. Maybe it's less likely for him to get traded before the non-waiver trade deadline. Uh, How would you rank those pitchers? Who would you want most out of those guys? I I almost feel like, for me, uh, even though he is uh, the oldest of these guys – if I was looking to win now, I think Ryan Dempster would be at the top of my list just because I would hope I had to give up less for him. He, I have the issues with Zach Greinke, uh, you know, I'm just not sure. I don't think you know what you're going to get with him mentally. Um, and Josh Johnson's a, a, so injury-prone. I know Ryan Dempster's track record is not nearly as good as o- those other guys, but he's steady, he's durable, he's been outstanding this year, and hopefully he'd be a rental. I guess the uh, last part would be you would have to – Convince him to come to wherever you are because it sounds like he wants to be a Dodger. How would you rank those pitchers?
1: I'd still rather have Josh, uh, um, Josh Zach Greinke uh, than any of those guys, John. Um, I, I like Ryan Dempster. I, I, I think he's. I don't think the two two five ERA he's put up. I, I don't think the rest of his numbers kind of sync up with that two two five ERA. I, I think he's he's pitched over his head a little bit. Um, sure. And I don't think he's going to be super cheap because it sounds like the Braves were willing to give up Randall Delgado to get him and that the, Dodgers, that the Cubs are trying to get, uh, you know, they were initially trying to get Zach Lee uh, from the get Zach Lee from the yep. Dodgers, and now they're trying to get Webster from the Dodgers. Um, but that said, I mean, James Shields and Josh Johnson really aren't having great years, to be honest with you. If, if he were 100% healthy, I'd want Matt Garza. And I like the fact that I control Garza for another year. Um but he's not 100% healthy right now, and he's not going to come cheap. So I could be giving up significant pieces to get Matt Garza if I went out and got him right now, and he might not be able to contribute a bunch down the stretch. Uh, you know, if, if Matt Garza was 100% healthy, I might like him better than Zach Greinke because I control him, and, and like you said, I, I know exactly what I'm getting. I, you know, I wouldn't mind trying to, you know, maybe buy cheap on Francisco Liriano, although his last outing is going to make that more difficult. I, I'd still like to have Zach Greinke, but I agree with you. And I think this is true in general. You're getting a guy for two months. You know, if you get Zach Reinke or any of these pitchers, you're getting what 10, 11, maybe 12 starts. How much of a difference, unless the guy just goes out and is lights out? You know, how many wins is that really going to add to your team? Uh, you know, it's not. You know, getting one of these guys is not going to make your team five or six wins better.
0: Yeah, that's that. That is the challenge that all these teams. Uh, that's the question all these teams are asking themselves. I guess that's the that's the key. And Gronke, you know, clearly pitched very well his last time out. That was on nine days rest. <laughs> that makes, that makes a difference. Like you said, I mean, he's only for the rest of the year. Um, you know, he has no playoff pitching experience beyond last year when he was okay, but he didn't exactly pitch like an ace last year in the postseason. Um, what, what's his, in your mind, it, in my mind, I should say, it feels like if the Rangers want him, they will get him. Like you said, their farm system is the best of these teams that are involved. I, I feel like they're going to get him. Uh, where, where, where would you put the uh, – uh, I think it's like a 75% chance, if I'm going to put a percentage on it, that the Texas Rangers get Zach Greinke, and they aren't going to have to give up Jurickson and Profar. It feels like this is an organization that can give up uh, one of your uh, fellow uh, Georgia Bulldog graduates. I'm sure he didn't graduate. But Justin Grimm you know, is an attractive trade piece even though he's a spare part almost in the in the Rangers system. He's not their top pitching prospect. They could go on a second-level middle infielder, whether it's uh, Sardinia's, uh or many others. They have several other shortstop prospects. Uh, they don't even have to include a Mike They could go Christian Villanueva. I know hasn't isn't having a, a great year. Uh, they could maybe offer up a tool, toolsy but raw young player like a Jordan Akins who's having a terrible year, uh, or a Zach Cohn. Uh, they, they have such depth. Uh, they they don't have to give up a Profar or even an Olt or Martín Pérez to get a player the caliber of that Grinke.
1: I disagree with you a little bit on that, John, because okay. I mean I know the Brewers' account said they'll trade Grinke, and it makes sense, especially because he's going to be a free agent. I don't think you get him for just a bunch of toolsy guys in Class A, because I think there's another te- there's another team out there that will top that. But I do think I do think if you're willing to put say a Mike Olt in the deal and then surround him with a couple of those other guys. That's fine, I don't think you're going to see Zach Reinke traded for four or five. you know type of trade we all try to make in our our fantasy leagues, or, or I did when I played fantasy baseball, right. where you trade five you know five guys who might be something for one sure thing Cause I, I think if that's the case, then you know the, the the braves who right now didn't get Dempster, the braves can could throw you know Randall Delgado in with some guys, or the angels can you know give them you know, Gene Segura and some guys. I think the other teams will come in and trump that if they, if they try not to give up a top guy. But I do agree that if they want him, they can get him. The, the only thing that gives me a little bit of pause is, you know, they they had a lot of ammunition the last time Zach Greinke was on the market, and they didn't make the move then to go get him. Um, you know, now get granted, you know, now they they've had you know they they've lost in the World Series the last two years, including a you know, very tough loss last year. If you're the Rangers, anything less than winning this year is going to be a disappointment. But but that's the one thing that gives me pause is the last time he was on the market. It's not like The Royals gave up an unbelievable package. I'm sorry, the Brewers gave up an unbelievable package to the Royals to get him, and they gave up a good package, but it wasn't like it was unbelievable. And I always felt like if the Rangers had wanted him then, they could have had him then. Right. That's the one thing that makes me wonder a little bit. And if the Rangers do try to resist, okay, you can't have Profar, you can't have Old, you can't have Perez. We want to talk, you know, all second-level guys. Then I think somebody else can come in there and get ahead of them.
0: I don't disagree with that, but the second level teams are going to have to give you somebody better than Grimm, who's been very good at double a AA and triple A this year, has a live arm. I think he's, he's not a first tier pitching prospect by any stretch, but he's a second tier. I think he's a future big league starter. That's, that's pretty good value. I mean, he's not just comparing him to a guy who got traded last year. He's not Jared Cozart, but he's not that far different from Jared Cozart. He doesn't have quite as live an arm, but a little bit more pitchability. Obviously, I, I think more maturity. Um, if the if the Rangers were willing to include a Rugneto door, that's a pretty good middle infield prospect. And again, Luis Sardinius, but there's not a lot of better minor league shortstops out there than Sardinius, who's hitting 300 and is a you know defensive whiz playing shortstop at Hickory. Uh, you know Villanueva's is a guy who was number 100 on our top 100 list, not having a great year this year at uh, Myrtle Beach, but uh, you know Sardinius steals bases, he fields. Uh, Those guys, I understand they're not elite guys. They're pretty good, and other teams are going to have to include some significant prospects. I guess what I'm saying, they're going to have to give give up a player who's better than a package that's better than what Texas gives up. They're really putting a significant dent in their farm system, and the Rangers really aren't. Uh, That's that's, that's the difference for me. Um, I I definitely don't think uh, that – I I do think that the Rangers are going to try to get the best starting pitcher they can – without giving up Olt, Perez, obviously Profar. But I do think there's a little bit more urgency for the Rangers, uh, having been to two World Series. Anything short of winning it this year is a disappointment. And Josh Hamilton, as we've seen in the month of July, uh, his future is very up in the air. He's, he's He's erratic off the field. He's erratic on the field. When he's on, he's the best player in baseball. When he's not on, he's an enigma and obviously his impending free agency is a real big question for them. So the urgency is a little heightened there. Um, uh, which of those other pitchers, anyone else on that on that pitching group? You're closest to the Cubs, like you said, uh, Garza the injury, Dempster. I feel like the Cubs have as many cards to deal as anybody has in this gym because uh, they've also got hitters that other teams could be attracted to, uh, like an Alfonso Soriano uh, or a Brian LaHare.
1: Yeah, I mean the cut. Like I said, I mean all those guys are movable. I mean I don't think the Cubs are going to trade Castro. I don't think they trade, it, you know, maybe Jeff Samarja. But virtually anybody else on that team is in the mix. You know, Soriano a the guy they were willing to eat a a ton of salary on in the off season, and had no takers. He's having a good year. I mean, to me, Soriano really fits nicely as a DH for an American League club. You know, it, it, the days of having. You know, teams, you know, loaded with DHs. You know, every team, you know, all the contenders had great DHs. Now it's almost like it's a, well, we're going to rest the guy here for a day or two. A lot of teams don't have good DHs. He could be a nice fit there. You know, you know Brian LaHare, you know, would be interesting. I don't think Brian LaHare would cost you an arm and a leg. I, I'm not really buying him as an outfielder, and Rizzo's their, their future at first base. Um, and it's no secret, I mean, the Cubs have very little pitching in the major leagues or the upper levels of their farm system. You can... You know, if you try to project out what the Cubs are going to look like when they can contend, you could kind of see what their lineup's going to look like, but it's hard to picture what that rotation's going to look like. So I think any trade you see the Cubs make, they're going to be looking for pitching coming back. My guess is, with Garza's injury, he doesn't get traded, and, you know, he's still a guy who's under control next year. So with him, the the, the impetus to tr- Kratom isn't as strong as it is with Orion Dempster, uh, who, you know, theoretically, you know, this could be the last year of his contract. With Garza, you could still get a nice trade for him in the offseason if he's on your team. So my guess is Garza stays put, but that Dempster definitely will get traded, and you know, they would they would love to move Soriano, and I would think – I think the Cubs would would eat salary to take better prospects in return, and if they could get something useful for Brian LeHair, I think they would make that kind of move too.
0: I haven't seen this rumor, Jim, but I'm just thinking with Alex Rodriguez having gotten hurt, and Alfonso Soriano to the Yankees, where they don't, where they kind of rotate guys in at DH. The, the Yankees don't have a lot of right-handed power without Alex Rodriguez. That deal almost seems like it makes too much sense to not happen. But I, I,
1: do you see the,
0: Soriano to the, the Yankees? The problem with that
1: one. The problem with that one is I think he'd be great if it was the last year of his contract. Right. And even though the Cubs would eat some, you know, I think the Cubs would eat a lot of his salary depending on what the Yankees would give up. Um, I, do the Yankees want a guy who then, I mean, granted, they wouldn't have the obliga- a, a huge obligation to him, but the guy's under contract for two more years. I, I think, <laughs> think my guess is the Yankees probably want more of a short term fix than a guy who's, who's under contract, even if they get, you know, some. You know, reduced commitment, you know, because the Cubs pick up a bunch of the salary. I don't know if they want a guy who's under contract for two more years on top of it. Yeah, $18
0: million each of the next two years. So $36 million more left on Soriano's contract after this year. Somehow, every time you make a trade, I love how Ken Tremendous made fun of this on Twitter, but somehow, every time you make a trade, Brian Cashman gets cash, man, <laughs> back in the deal, even from the Mariners, which was just stunning. He got cash from the Mariners for Ichiro, and the only prospects, quote-unquote, I'm using that word loosely, that he gave up were Danny Farquhar, twice released this year, and DJ Mitchell, who I will remind people, was the fifth starter for the AAA Empire State Yankees this year to open the year. Um, just that, that that was a stunner, but from a fit standpoint, I think Alfonso Soriano really fits very well for the New York Yankees, and obviously he's shown he can play in New York, uh, having having originally done it. Uh, Jim, which of these hitters – I put together a little cheat sheet for us. Which of these hitters makes the most sense to you or is most likely to go – I mean, it's, it's amazing that you know, Soriano has the big money, Justin Upton's a big name, and Kevin Towers was basically telling everybody, yeah, you can have Justin Upton. He's not a winning ball player. We don't think we can win with him. It's like he was giving the Mike Singletary speech to everybody about Justin Upton. But uh, Chase Headley of the Padres, he seems like he's the most likely guy to get traded – and uh the, the Yankees could be a destination there with Arod's injury.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think I wanna say and there have been so many rumors swirling around that I thought the Yankees said yeah that they weren't gonna make a big push in a trade, um, because they expect Arod back before the end of the year. I, I do think to answer your question, I do think Headley's the most likely guy to be traded. I mean the Potteries have a guy who could step in and take over at third base, and Jed Jorko, who's, who's, you know, if he's not ready, he's almost ready. Great name. Um, Hedley's having a good year, so there's some value there. He's, uh, you know, in terms of his contract, and he's not a free agent until 2015. He's going to be a first-year ARB eligible guy, so you are going to have to pay him more money. He's going to get more expensive, but you still you control him for a while. It's not a rental, um, and he's a solid player. So I, I could see him, I could definitely see headley being traded i think he's most likely although i've also again it seems like there have been a million rumors uh i had somebody you know i think in my chat yesterday john at baseball america somebody was saying how and i don't know if this was a quote from from josh burns or where it came from that the that somebody was talking about how the padres could get as much for chase headley as they got for matt latos and i was like that's crazy uh if, if that's really <laughs> what they're looking for then maybe he doesn't get traded i right. mean I, I like Chase Headley, but I don't think you're going to get Yonder Alonso and Yasmani Grandal, right? You know, and Boxberger. I mean, you know, it's a lot harder to me to find a starting pitcher than it is a a starting third baseman. Um, So, you know, I I guess it depends on the asking price. But he seems to be the guy that would make the most sense to to trade. You know, that that will get traded.
0: It's the Baseball America podcast with Jean and Jim. That's that's a very deep cut old reference. Uh, Jim, the other the other division, we've talked a lot about the. uh, AL East a little bit. We talked some of the NL Central here with the Cubs. The NL Central is pretty fascinating to me on a lot of levels. You have the Reds in first place, but with Joey Votto hurt, uh, thanks to uh, our former number one prospect, Todd Frazier, also our former number nine prospect. <laughs> um, they've, they, he's helped weather that storm a little bit. You have the Astros back at the bottom, headed for the number one pick overall in, in back-to-back seasons, and, and the great American sell-off 2012 in, in Houston. Um, and then you have the Pirates. Uh, first of all, contending for the first time since 1997. Second of all, uh, bringing up Starling Marte with a home run in his first pitch he sees as big leaguer. I don't feel like Starling Marte is enough to push Pittsburgh over the top. Uh, I do like Starling Marte, but uh, do you feel like you know, do you feel like Pittsburgh can make a, a, a move? And is there anything left in Houston uh, to to deal? It seems like Houston between Carlos Lee. And Wendy Rodriguez and Brett Myers, uh, that carcass is pretty well picked over.
1: Yeah, I mean, with the Astros, I mean, I think Jeff Lunow is willing to trade anybody if it makes the team better. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't really know what you know. Well, I mean, I mean, the guy you could trade because I mean, well, realistically, <laughs> and this is tough to say. I mean, I don't think the Astros are going to contend anytime soon. So, I mean, you could argue that even a guy like Jed Lowry, who's having a nice year, you know, and he's a shortstop and he's played well and all that. That you can, you know, even if you want to build around Jed Lowry, I mean, you know, are they going to contend even in the next three years? I don't know about that. You know, he's a free agent in 2015. I I don't think they're contending before 2015. So, I I guess, you know, I mean, I'd if I were the Astros, I'd at least listen to offers on him. Uh, But there's not much there to, to trade. I mean, Bud Norris is probably the best pitcher on that staff now. He's not having a great year, and you're not going to get a ton for him. So, they're, they're pretty much done with Pittsburgh. I agree. I mean. I do think this team's more of a legitimate contender than the team that, that contended for four months last year and then collapsed. And at the same time, you know, is Andrew McCutcheon gonna keep hitting three seventy? Are AJ Burnett and, and James McDonald gonna keep being this good? You know, I, I think they could use more help beyond Juan E. Rodriguez, you know, beyond promoting Starling Marte. Um, you know, the 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 problem with the Pirates if you're looking to trade, I, I think is John, you don't wanna give up too much of your future Right. And their system's kind of top-heavy. Like, I wouldn't want to trade Garrett Cole or Jameson Tyone or Josh Bell or Marte or probably Luis Heredia unless I was getting – like, if Justin Upton got traded, okay, Correct. Maybe I'll start talking about some of those names. I'm not trading those guys for Chase Headley. You know? I'm not <laughs> trading those guys for Brian laHare I'm not trading those guys for Ryan Dempster. But the problem is after you get past those guys, you know, I mean, you, you saw what they gave up for Juan e. Rodriguez and – I mean, to me, on a good team, Juan e. Rodriguez is kind of a number four starter, and they gave up three guys who are okay, but they're more role players to me than, than guys Houston's going to build around. Yeah, Robbie, and, and and Robbie has Gross a chance to couple. be a
0: regular. I think he could be a solid regular. You know, best-case scenario, he's kind of like a junior Rusty Greer, you know.
1: Yeah, and, and, and that's what I'm saying. That's best-case scenario. He also might be a fourth outfielder. So none of those guys is a lock to be a regular or a mid-rotation starter. You know, Colton Kane or, right. you know, we'll, we'll see how that turns out. But I, I just – I think Pittsburgh's definitely looking to, you know, Rudy Owens is the same thing. I think he's a, a number four star, yep. probably, uh, realistically. It's more like better. a fifth, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Randy Rodgers, but, you guys,
0: is the fourth. Rudy Owens is the fifth.
1: Yeah, so anyway, you know, you know, if I'm Pittsburgh, I'd love to upgrade. You know, and Pittsburgh could definitely use a shortstop, um, but I just, you know, I think it's tough because, you know, if you're not giving up those top, you know, your, your five core prospects, I don't know that they have a lot of ammunition to really go out and get a guy, you know, putting together a Kyle McPherson, Tony Sanchez, you know, Alex, you know, Dickerson package, you know, I mean, yeah, or you could give him Alex Presley too. I mean, you're not going to get a big time guy. And if I'm the Astros, I'm not giving you Jed Lowry for that. That's not really exciting me. So I think they've got to be careful. I mean, the best scenario would be if you had a guy, you know, if Justin Upton could play shortstop, then I'd give away my farm and plug Justin Upton in at shortstop, you know, which is where he was drafted as an amateur. But I, I'm not giving up, you know, my 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 core prospects unless I'm getting a guy that I can keep for a while too. So I, I think it's a kind of tough. Yeah, I'm sure they'll do some window dressing. I'm not sure they have, you know, if Juan e. Rodriguez is a big move. I'm not sure they have another move that big in them.
0: I agree. I mean, I think that they would be a, a nice small fit, like Kevin Correa has been pushed out of their uh, rotation by Wendy Rodriguez. And if they could do Correa and a prospect for somebody, that would make sense. Korea's not owed a lot of money. You're giving someone some, something big league ready. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like like you said, I mean, Tony Sanchez, what kind of prospect value does he really have left? Kyle McPherson throwing five innings, a, 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 you know, a start in double-A right now had some injury issues to start the year. I do like Kyle McPherson okay but like he's like a I don't even like him as much as a, a Justin Grimm who we talked about earlier in this podcast so yeah I feel like, like you said unless they go out and get a Justin Upton uh I don't doesn't feel like there's a big shortstop. I wouldn't give up Tyone or a Cole or a, a radio like those five guys you mentioned I wouldn't give up any of those guys for Janelle Escobar I like Janelle Escobar if he's available you know, if the Jays are even selling he would be the best shortstop maybe on the market and he would clearly been an upgrade over Clem Barmus. I'm not sure I would, you know, give him up for that. Maybe, you know, maybe there are discussions with the Diamondbacks over Justin Upton wind up leading to Stephen Drew. You know, I, that, I I could see that being a fit and you probably wouldn't have to give up one of your elite guys to get Stephen Drew and Stephen Drew would be an upgrade uh over Clem Barmas. I think more likely you see the Pirates do do more things around the edges as opposed to another big move, like you said. Um, I, I do think he's going to be active, though, on Tuesday, Jim. Uh, if, there, if you had to pick one player to wrap up who's the most likely to be traded, uh, would it be Zach Greinke? It feels like he's the most likely guy, big-name guy to get dealt.
1: Yeah, I, I agree, because, I mean, Doug Melvin's come out and said they're going to trade him. He's a free agent. The Brewers are – you know, the, the, the National League is less competitive than the American League. I mean, there's still – you know, if you want to stretch the definition of contender – or you're not even stretching that much. I think there's, what, four, five, six – there's probably eight teams in the American League that have a shot at the wild card right now. Right. In the National League, it seems like it's three teams. You know, yeah, it's, much it's, more uh,
0: separation in the National four, League. Or
1: four teams. Yeah, you've know, you got the Dodgers, Pirates, Cardinals, and Braves, and it's going to be two of the four. And I mean, the, the Brewers right now are – I'm trying to do the math in my head. I think they're eight or nine, ten games out in the wild card. They're not going to go to the playoffs. Granky is going to be a free agent. Um, nothing would preclude him from re-signing with the Brewers if they wanted to make a run at him in the off-season, but they don't have him signed right now. He wouldn't do a deal, and he's definitely going to get traded.
0: Yeah, I mean, like you said, the Diamondbacks seven and a half out are about on, they're about as on the fringe of the wild card race as you could you know, hope to be, and uh, and they're talking about trading a guy, Justin Upton, who for most of the last few years have been seen as a real uh, franchise piece. So hard to hard to put them in the conversation for a uh, uh, of of a buyer as opposed to a seller. Well, I'm sure we'll react to it next week, Jim, uh, when the trade deadline is, uh, has come and gone and break down the prospects. I believe this issue is your column of here are the best prospects who got traded, right?
1: Yeah, it's probably – I mean, I'd, I'll do something trade deadline related. And, you know, the thing is, I mean, before we, we jump off, John, I'll, I'll get your take on this because I've talked about it a couple times in SBA – You know, we've had, I think, you know, one, two, three, we've had about 10, 12 trades so far in July, you know, and some big names getting traded. I have not been overwhelmed by the prospects who've changed hands. I mean, the the best prospect, I think, in terms of pedigree, who's changed teams so far this month has been Jacob Turner, and his stock seems to be down. And let's take Jacob Turner out of the conversation. Nadia Valdi's a big leaguer. He doesn't count. The second best prospect of the – you know, it seems like about 20 or 25 of them been traded this month all, already. I don't know. Is the second-best prospect? It's probably Rob Brantley or, or Asher Wojciechowski. I mean, it's, it's been more kind of, you know, even when you you had, you know, Hanley Ramirez traded and Anibal Sanchez and Omar Infante traded, not a lot of big-name prospects changing hands right now.
0: No, it has been underwhelming from that standpoint. I, I would say that your second-best guy probably was uh, Robbie Grossman. I mean, I think he's a... A, a, a second division regular, but that's probably more than some most of these other guys, and it really it really has been uh, extremely underwhelming. I mean, the the other most the, the interesting guys who were traded uh, were the big leaguers, yeah, the the Kevin Yucaliss, the Ernesto Frieri, which was a, a nice under the radar deal in May, who really helped turn around the uh, the Angels bullpen, and you know, I mean, like you said, I mean, like Matt Dominguez had as much prospect uh, pedigree. Although I think I, you and I. We're both always pretty skeptical. Uh, once he got a A ball, we were pretty skeptical skeptical of Matt Dominguez's bat. So I mean, like him versus Asher Wojciechowski, I would take Matt Dominguez over over Asher Woj myself. I mean, uh, Asher Woj is probably going to be like one of these up and down bullpen guys. So yeah, it has been an underwhelming collection of prospects traded. Um, I, I think that we'll have a little bit more in terms of quality prospects dealt for Zach Greinke, or if the Mar- uh, the Marlins do make a Josh Johnson move. Uh, yeah, getting back to the Marlins, I, I meant to say this earlier, but the other issue with the Marlins being not as good this year, Jim, is they just have their draft in development the last few years. Their farm system did not give them any enough support. Or, I mean, they, they they developed a star in Giancarlo Cruz, Mike Stanton, and Giancarlo Stanton, but uh, Logan Morrison has not developed as I think they hoped not at the big league level. The Cam Coughlin injury – that really homegrown pitching. You know, Chris Volstad was a bust. Their whole 2005 uh, draft class was much less than uh, than, than Chris Volstad. Uh, their scouting and player development, I think, wears a lot of the blame for them not contending, even with all the free agent money they spent last off season.
1: Yeah, you know, and even you look at the money they spent. I mean, Jose Reyes. Yeah, eh, you know, his year's nothing special. He fell. He with fell. With
0: with terrible. terrible.
1: You know, Mark Burley's having the best year of any of those guys, but you know, I mean, he's. Is, yeah, Mark is. Burley's a good pitcher, but he's not like an ace. You know, you're, like he'll win, but it's not like when Mark Burley's pitching, the other team's like, "Oh man, we got no shot today." It's not. And it's not Justin Verlander. But I mean, you're right. I mean, they basically have one hitter who, who's having a real good year, you know, which is Giancarlo Stanton. If you want to count part-timers, uh, long-time BA fave uh, Justin Ruggiano is having an unbelievable year as a part-time guy. But, That's right. You know, they, they have one hitter having a good year. <laughs> they have, you know, one starting pitcher having a good year. And they have, you know, uh, you know, a couple of relievers and Steve Sishek and Randy Cho. They basically have four guys on the team, uh, on the 25-man roster, having good years, and everybody else just kind of having so-so or disappointing seasons. And they just traded um, Cho. Yeah, well, that's right. And, you know, and the thing is, so not only have they not been getting the job done, scouting player development, their, their, their major league decisions haven't been that great either. I mean, it's it's it, it's been a huge disappointment. And and now you have a team that went out and spent so heavily in the off-season. I mean, I'm looking at this team, John, in that division. You know, the Phillies are old, but the Phillies are going to be better next year. I agree. The Mets are better than we thought they were going to be. I don't know if that's going to last, but the Nationals are for real. The mm-hmm. Braves are for real. No doubt. I have a hard time looking at this division and saying where the Marlins, on a year-in, year-out basis, are going to be much better than a fourth-place team.
0: I completely agree with you. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's strange the Marlins have had this front office together. I mean, they won the World Series in 2003. That's a long time ago, Jim. That's a long time ago. And it's been the same front office. It's been the same scouting and player development staff. And I think that, you know, there's respect in the industry for a lot of those guys. Uh, you know, Larry Beinfest and Mike Hill and, of you know, Dan Jennings, Stan Meek. Those guys are pros. But they've been, it's been, a, and they're all signed to pretty decent long term contracts of memory serves. That's a long time to be together with not much to show for it since that 2003. And like you said, you're looking into the future. It's hard to see this team really being successful. And to me, it all starts from the top and Jeffrey Loria, um, you know, and, uh, Oh, what's the team president, David Sampson. Hey, Samson. Those guys don't have a lot of respect in the industry. And, uh, you know, it, it just funnels down to, uh, the big league club. I, I don't think there's any other way to put it. Not, not impressive, not an impressive track record for ownership, uh, and David Sampson. And, uh, And this and this team, you know, reflects, like you said, like a lot of bad decisions, not just at the scouting and player development level, but also at the big league level. So, uh, we'll see. I I, I fully expect them to deal Josh Johnson, Uh, even though it looks like they're they're asking for a ton. I think when push comes to shove, uh, they're going to want to jettison salary, and they're going to toe this very hard line. I think they'll end up selling them for pennies on the dollar because they just want to be rid of the money. and with Josh Johnson's injury history, I don't see how he can give up a mark to share a type return, which is what they're rumored to be looking for.
1: Yeah, I'll i be surprised if they're really holding out for what they've been reported to be holding out for. I, I would bet they keep him, because he's only got one more year in his deal before he's a free agent. And again, mm-hmm. if he finishes strong, or at least solidly, you could probably still get you know a decent amount for him in the off season. I would probably take the same approach there. I would ask for the moon for him. Because if you don't get the, you know, the one thing they may benefit from, and they may get a good package, is whoever you know. There's going to be all these teams that want Zach Reinke, and only one of them is going to get him. And if let's say let's say the Rangers get him, well, the Angels wanted Zach Reinke, and they got the Rangers in their division. They may react by going out and, and getting a Josh Johnson. So we'll see. If I were the Marlins, I would not trade him unless I got a package that I really liked. Um, I would you know, and if I don't, I would explore trading him again in the off season.
0: That makes sense. That's much more rational than what I suggest. As usual, so um, I just I don't expect the, the the Marlins to be a rational actor in all this. That's I guess that's where I'm coming from. But uh, good stuff. Always fun to, uh, talking the uh, podcast with you, Jim, and we'll uh, look forward to the column next week. And I'm sure we'll podcast about it as well to talk about the prospects who were traded at the deadline and uh, also enjoyed the Olympic uh, the Olympic memories. That was fun stuff. You sure you It yeah, was want-
1: good talking Olympics. I, I think we spent John more time talking about the Olympics, than I may spend watching the Olympics. So, I, I uh,
0: agree with you. You sure you don't? There's not a Phil Nevin Olympic story you want to tell?
1: No, no. <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, you know the story. I mean, Phil had a great year that year and was, you know, you know, the Mr. Mr. Interview and happy to talk when things were going great at Cal State Fullerton and and when things things went bad in Barcelona and the team didn't even get a medal. Uh, Phil is not the same nice guy he had been before that. So.
0: Excuse me, Mr. Ajete. I had a question for you. That's my Yeah,
1: that's, that's right. A little Tom Boswell there, a little Tom Boswell <laughs> invitation. But uh, yeah, that was the one game everybody covered was Cuba versus the U.S. and that was about it.
0: Yeah, the the U.S. Japan game in 2000 was the one that was most covered. And my you know my media story, yours was the uh, Tom Boswell. Mine involved the now disgraced Bill Conlon. and I was never a big Bill Collins fan because of the uh, post game in 2000. Where he and Tom Lasorda basically had their own conversation, with Tom Lasorda on the dais with a microphone in front of him, while the rest of the media was trying to interview the Japanese players. Um, they just pretty much ignored the Japanese media, asking questions and being translated, and kind of had their own conversation. Uh, it was it was strange, but uh, that was a fun trip though. I, I I enjoyed every minute of it, and I'm sorry there's no baseball in London. We'll uh, we'll, we'll talk more trade prospects though, next time. Uh, On the next Baseball America podcast for Jim Callis, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time, everybody.